right, bro. We're recording there. We're good here. All right, bro. Thanks for being on the show. Welcome to the podcast and all that good stuff. Um, you know, I've read a little bit about your background, and one thing I didn't know that was a thing, I guess, was that these case competitions at university. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. Start this off, and well, maybe you should give a little brief introduction. Let the uh, everyone know who we're talking with here. Yeah, for sure, Chris. Well, first of all, it's good to be on, bro. Yeah, so name's Brendan. I'm the founder of Master Talk. Master Talk is a YouTube channel I started to help people with their communication skills, and I also have a coaching practice. And to your point, yeah. So how I got started was through these things called case competitions. And for those who don't know, which is like 99.99% of people listening to this, (laughs) games competitions is like professional sports, but for nerds, right? So other guys my age, I don't know, they play basketball or baseball, not the kind of stuff I would play as you can tell by looking at me. I did presentations competitively. That's what these cases are in the business world. And that's how I learned how to speak. And then as I got older through that experience, I was coaching people who were younger than me in that program. And that's how I, I got the idea for Master Talk. So these case competitions, they give you a a subject that you have to present on or do you get to pick or what? You got it. So think of it like this, man. I know it sounds really bizarre, but hear me out a little bit. So why do these things exist? The reason they exist is for companies to get the best talent out of business school. So in the same way that let's say in a sports, in a sports setting, let's say the NBA draft, a lot of talent scouts across the different sports, they go to different universities to see like the D1 schools sure. to see like who's really good. And then they pick them up before everyone else does. Sure. This is the same analogy, but in the business world. So what happens is companies like IBM, Amazon, Microsoft, all these big companies, they actually sponsor these things. They're the ones who pay all the money for these things because it's a recruiting tool for them. Because remember, I'm like 20 at the time, right? I'm okay. like 19, 20. And we're presenting better than their executives because we did it as a competition. So the, the vice president sitting there and he's like, okay, I want that kid in my company, right? And, and that's how these things, that's how they, they work. So basically what happens is you go into these, these competitions. Let's say Nike gives you a case. They say, sure. okay, Chris, uh, we're going to this new country. How should we sell the shoe? So students have three hours without any internet to read a 20-page document, to make a financial model, to make slides, find a solution. And at the end of the three hours, they need to present the whole solution to the actual executives of the company. So that's what a case competition. It was crazy. It's like the Olympics of a, of a business. Is that pretty nerve wracking? Is it pretty stressful? Very stressful. And it's also really hard to get in. The program Uh, I was a part of, which is kind of odd, was the world's largest one. It was just a coincidence that I went to that school. So it has a 20% acceptance rate, 400 people apply and 80 people get into the program every year. Oh, well, okay, fancy. All right, no big deal. <laughs> doing good, doing big things, bro. Oh, so, uh, no, really. They could be like, uh, that's kind of cool, dude. I mean, I, I've never heard of this and I never knew that. I love the way you you uh, made that comparison with the NBA draft and into the presentations. And I never knew that whole community or whatever you want to say existed. Oh, yeah. It's like, it's really tiny, man. And another thing I'll say, like, this is how I describe myself. I'm like the Michael Jordan that nobody gives a shit about. And the reason I say that is because, you know, when Michael Jordan was like the guy in basketball and he was like being an ass with his teams, oh, like yeah. people care because it's basketball. I was exactly the same way because I was the dictator of that program years later because I was the one coaching all of these students to go out to all of these competitions across the world. I was their coach, right? Even if I didn't know how to coach, I was the only person there. So I kind of nominated myself. Nice. That's how I learned how to speak. But nobody gives a shit about cute, like <laughs> presentations. So I got away with it was the difference. Well, here, this is a good question question or a good talking point here that you know with that type of mindset you know how michael jordan had and how he's kind of portrayed in the uh the last dance that you have to have almost that type of mentality and mindset in order to get to the level he was on correct and that's kind of what is that what you kind of took from it too that hey if i want to do this and be in here and be in here and be in front of all these business executives from top you know companies like amazon nike microsoft I got to bring, bring the heat with this mentality. Oh yeah. I was a killer back in the day. I'm a lot more mature, mature these days. I, I don't think, I don't think MJ has matured though over time. I agree. Like, you know, you know that in the last episode of the last day, I watched that too. I love that documentary. Yeah. And that was the moment that stuck with me, by the way, Chris, where they asked him, what's, what's, is there any regrets you have with your life? And the only thing he said was we should have went for seven. And I was like, what does he mean by that? And then I later found out he meant championships. Right. He's still hanging on to who he used to be. And I, f- I felt that really fascinating. 
but yeah, like I, I was the same way, honestly. I was a tyrant in, in university. And that's how I learned communication so rapidly. As you can tell, I'm not the oldest face in town. <laughs> so I, I learned 30 years of communication, like three. That's how I started coaching CEOs when I was like 22. That's impressive, bro. Yeah, so that's wait, so you said you learned how to speak, I think. And so before all this, what did you feel like you didn't know how to speak? Like you were just had trouble with it or what? I was I wasn't bad at it, but I wasn't like amazing at it either. Like, I, and the reason I wasn't that great was because I went to French school. So, so for those who are listening, I'm based in Montreal in Canada. Okay. And in Montreal, you need to not speak French. So my parents sent me to French school, Chris, okay. to, so I could learn the language. But you're like practice. Not only was I uncomfortable with communication, I was presenting a language I didn't know. Right. <laughs> so I wasn't really good at, and I also have a crooked left arm, so I was always super nervous whenever I gave presentations. So I wasn't like bad or anything, but I wasn't super amazing. It was, but what I am is definitely very competitive. So those case competitions, I initially did them to get a job like everyone else, but then I just developed this unhealthy obsession with them and I started getting better at this. Well, yeah, that's the way to do it, man. Just like we said, that's, you found something that you were, it sounds like you're truly passionate about. I mean, look what it's done for you now. And that, <laughs> yeah, and like you've made it grow and you found something that you're passionate about. And now it's like, you're just doing big things. And <laughs> you're just, well, you say you're coaching or teaching CEOs, right? Yeah, for sure, man. You know, you know, it's funny, right? Like, uh, it, you know, they always say the most successful people are the most humble. Yeah, you know, I coach great people, but I also live in my mother's basement still, right? So we're all, we're, so, so I'm definitely, I'm definitely good, but there's still a lot more to go for sure. Absolutely. So, so that was this your ultimate goal with these presentations was just become as good as I can. And then, you know, make this into a, a business of some sort. You would think, right. You would yeah. think now. Yeah. It was a completely an accident, Chris. I never went into case competition with the intention of turning to a business. I didn't even know you could get paid being a coach, honestly. So what happened was when I graduated, I got my dream job, which is exactly what I wanted at IBM as a tech consultant. So nice, healthy paycheck, starting salary. I was able to retire my mother off that. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. But what happened, brother, is like kind of like in sports when a professional athlete retires from the game. And, you know, one day there's like 10,000 screaming fans. The next day, nobody gives a shit about them. Sure. I kind of had that on a smaller scale, on a way smaller scale. So instead of like 10,000, like 10 nerds kind of yelling my name. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, and that, right, then the next day it's like, okay, so what's my purpose? And when I started working, I loved my job, honestly. It was a great work, working environment, great people. But I think the challenge was I felt a little void. I was like, so what do I do? Do I just become an executive, make a lot of money and that's my life? And I said, was that, was that all this is for? And that's what led to, to Master Talk. I was like, I, I think I need to do something more important with my life. And that's when I, I realized I had a gift that I didn't even realize I had. That's a pretty bold move, dude. Like a lot of people, you know, like you said, you retired your mom working for the IBM and taking that paycheck and working the way versus a steady income, I guess, or even impressive income that a lot of people just sit and chill that until they go retire. But you feel like there was something more. And I feel like a lot of people don't take that chance, you know, they want to go after something they're truly passionate about. And like, I admire that dude. I think it's badass. Oh, sure. thanks, bro. Yeah, dude. Just cause not everybody's one. And I'm generally speaking, of course, but not, especially my point of view. Like I always thought that, you know, go to school as much school as you get, you'll get a good job then just do your X amount of years. So you retire and then figure it out after that. But you know, it's these past few years ever since the pandemic is oh, start to start taking some more chances in life and see where it leads to me. And this is what I kind of, why I started the podcast, you know, just because I always felt like I was never doing anything really big, you know, and not that this is big or anything, but it was just that I want to do something that or take a chance at something. Oh yeah. I was exactly the same way as you, by the way, literally the same mentality. I was just like, you know what? I know all these things about communication and that I feel no one else is talking about. I might as well just make videos on this. And then it just turned into something I never thought it would. Yeah. So, yeah. so what do you, you were always like in college, you're always reading up on communication, studying it, like learning from other people or De definitely the last one you know it's you know people think that i'm like some uh some super i actually don't even read books you know surprisingly okay. <laughs> i listen i listen to a lot of podcasts though Same. yeah i'm a big podcast nerd but i would say the, the way that i learned this chris was mostly through practice i was a practitioner so after the first year of case competitions when i started doing well for them myself you know i became that speaker i wanted to be the year after that i took more of a mentorship role. i was still competing 
but I was more helping the other students. And I realized that communication was a big gap for probably 25%, 20% of the delegation, but we don't really have a coach. And I just said, well, I'm, I'm managing the program now. I might as well just do it. And I had no clue what I was doing. Like, I was just like, oh, do like less filler words. And I was kind of making mistakes. And, but these kids are smart, right? They're not, they're not dumb people. So we were kind of co-creating the coaching experience together. And they were giving me a ton of ideas to coach the next generation too. And that's how I learned. I just tried a bunch of shit and whatever works, whatever sticked, I just kept. Well, that's the way to do it though, man. I mean, like that's the way I've learned is just kind of trial and error, man, to see what's working and go with that. And, you know, you don't have to bring everything with you to the table, but pearls and gems that you pick up along the way, then for some reason, sometimes it just works. And especially when you figure it out, man, that's a badass thing that you know that you got something snappy, you got something on fire right there, man. And man, it's that's, I'm getting pumped up about it, dude, just because of this because you didn't, I would never would have think that just doing presentations would lead to something this big and you doing something like that either. I mean, dude, likewise, I never would have thought I, I mean, Think about it, dude. I was a 22-year-old kid exactly. in my mother's basement, literally started on the couch right there. And like on, on communication, executive communication, who the hell is going to listen to that? Yeah, exactly. Sense. Like, you know, I, it's these little things. And this is why I like doing these podcasts. I'll learn about these whole new worlds I never would have dreamed of. And that, wow, people like yourself just have these interesting stories. And just, it's crazy, man. It's kind of, blow, it's mind blowing. But, you know, one question is like, you know, with public speaking, I've only done a few presentations with my uh with my career i work in higher education and like at conferences and stuff and like were you ever nervous did you have any stage fright even before college and stuff and then if you had you overcome it obviously you did overcome it but how was it man before i mean yeah absolutely man you know what i would say is the fear is always going to be there chris so let's say let me give you an example let's say we're having lunch okay, okay we're, we're having breakfast lunch dinner or something and elon musk calls me let's say he calls me on my cell phone and he says, hey, Brent, I've been watching your YouTube videos. Really impressive. Do you want to coach me? You can come to my house tomorrow or something. We can arrange it. Would I shit my pants? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Right? There's, there's always a level, even for me, where we're always going to be scared of communication. So I've always seen that fear is not really the right metric. Here, here's the another analogy I'll throw, throw to you. Let's say we have a boxing match. Okay? One side of the match, one side of the ring is the fear. Right, the fear of communication, the stress, the anxiety, Chris. Okay. And then the other side of the ring is the message. Why are we sharing this? Why are we bothering to do this? Why are we opening our mouth in the first place? So the goal is not for the fear to leave the ring, but rather when your message and your fear meet in the middle of that ring, that your message gets the knockout punch. Mm. That's the way that you want to do it. You want to make sure the message wins the match. It's not about making the fear go away, but rather make sure that every time the fear steps into the ring, that your message knocks them out every single time. I feel like it also gives you this little motivating factor, like, oh, it's still kind of nervous for me and still kind of fearing. Then that makes you want to keep going after it, you know, because you know it's something that you still get nervous about. Like, oh, let's get after it, man. Absolutely. And I'll give you the best example with me, man. I mean, I shouldn't have started MasterTalk. Remember, I was 22 years old. I had a six-figure job at IBM. Why in the world am I making YouTube videos in my mother's basement? It makes absolutely no sense. And I didn't want to do it. So why did I? Because I had every excuse in the book that everyone would have accepted. Sure. Oh, I'll wait until I'm 30. I'll wait five more years when I have more experience. So why did I have the urgency? The reason I had the urgency was for the 15-year-old girl who can't afford me. Okay, Ooh. Think of every 15-year-old girl and boy in the world whether okay. they live in the United States or any other country, like Cambodia or something. Who else is 22 years old who has the expertise I do in communication? And I realized that the answer was no one. So it's either I make the videos so that at least that girl has some access to some great information yeah. or nobody makes the videos. So when I realized that, I said, you know what? I'm scared, but I'm not making these videos for my executives. My executives would pay me. The reason I make these videos for the people who can't afford me, because a lot of communication coaches in my industry, because it's a very lucrative business, if I'm being honest, right? So you don't really need to make YouTube videos. You don't need sure. to do that. You can just like have 10 CEO clients, charge them each 20 grand, you're done. Like that's it. That's your business, right? Because for them, remember, Chris, communication if depending on what career you have is very high leverage. So if you're the CEO of a big company for you dropping 20 G's on this, it's not, sure. if you get the That'd result, exactly. So that's what a lot of people who are better than me are just as good as me do. But I was like, but what about the rest of the world? Like somebody should help them. And that's what led me to master talk in the first place. Wow, man. That's, I like that, dude. That's a great story right there. But you know, one thing 
go and touch it back on what your uh, your analogy with boxing or whatever that you know even starting these it always still blows my mind that I'm doing these you know we didn't only but exchange a few emails before this or whatever you call it and that we get on here and we start talking and then we start taking off it still kind of gives me that fear and anxiety like ooh how is this going to go I have no idea I've never really talked to this dude before except for emails which can be completely different from the tone or whatever or then you get on here and you're like oh man like we hit it off right from the start and then but it still blows my mind that you know, I'm doing this and it still has a little fear in my back of my head for it. It's like, Oh shit. I don't know how this is going to go, bro. Hopefully it goes well. And it's going well. So yeah, yeah, I can, uh, man, it, it's still just, like I said, that's my point. It just blows my mind that, you know, people are still doing this. Oh yeah, for sure. And, and I'll give you a small side, easy tip that probably isn't relevant to your audience, relevant to you. One thing you should do when people reach out for your show, just listen to a podcast they run for five minutes and just see if you like their vibe. That's the easiest way to to vet uh, people. Uh, so that way, if you're listening to them, you're like, oh, this person. Because I'm like, I know I, I give the impression when people look at my YouTube videos that I'm like super PR, super robotic. And then when you get on the show, you're like, oh, okay, this guy just shoots the shit. Like, he's just. So. <laughs> so, so, so when you're coaching, that is true. That's, I'm going to remember that. So when you're coaching and doing this, you know, your uh, your master talk stuff, and like, what is the most problem most problems you see, you know, with people as far as communications and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that the biggest piece is convincing them that they can be great communicators in the first place. Because mm. once they feel internally that they can be great communicators, I'll tell you exactly how I do that. But once they feel that they can be great communicators, everything is easy after that. Because then they feel it. They're like, yeah, I can totally do this. But most people, when they start with communication coaching, they feel internally that they can't do it. Right? Yeah, That's the no, big, I agree. Right? So how do you shift that? The way that you shift that is super simple and doesn't just apply to communication. It could apply with anything that people want to learn from is just ask yourself, what is the easiest possible win that I can get them that can convince them otherwise? So for me, what that looks like is the random word exercise. So the random word exercise is super simple, Chris. Pick a random word like tissue box. You pick a sweater, head fit, and you make random presentations out of thin air. So everyone sucks at the beginning. They go like, a sweater is a piece of cloth, and I don't... And then after you do this 20 times, you're just amazing at it. And then I just show the first video. And then I just ask them a simple question. What else is possible through communication skills? And eventually the answer becomes anything. So it's just for almost like anything else, it's the more you do it, obviously, the better you'll get. There you go. Yeah. You're willing to put in your time and learn from your mistakes and... Man, yeah, it makes perfect sense, dude. And just, it, yeah, I don't know why it keeps like I just never would have dreamed that it, it, this much goes into communication, which I should know, but I feel like I don't know at the same time. I, to be honest, man, you shouldn't feel bad about this because I think I'm one of the first people who's able to communicate it in this way. Because mm -hmm. I find a lot of experts before, no offense to them, obviously, when they communicate ideas on communication, communicate ideas on communication, that's that's a mouthful. You almost feel like you don't really get them. You're like, okay, but what do I do? Right. And I also feel it's not really well taught in the education system, which is why I started the channel in the first place. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, growing up, I mean, I remember doing a random, all right. So elementary school, I don't remember doing hardly any presentations at all or ever actually trying to work on communications or anything as far as, you know, how I speak with people, how I present things or whatever. But even, even in high school with the random few presentations that we did there, but it was all just, you know, you get a C or a B and there was no criticism or critiques that, uh, you would get from it. So you're just kind of like, you know, and everyone that you would try to, uh, you know, get feedback from, they would just always give you the good stuff, never the bad stuff. Cause nobody wants to, you know, where most people don't want to give you shit about it. Cause you know, most people are probably not monsters, but it wasn't until college when uh, I was, I majored in teaching, but you know, we had to do a couple things like, you know, teach a small lesson plan or whatever. And then finally our, the professor would say, Hey, no, tell them, you know, what exactly they're doing wrong or what you didn't like. Even if it's something that could be really small, you, not everybody's perfect. And that's when I started learning. Okay. Like give me this bad feedback or critiques and that way I can build off that and learn from mistakes. And it was just right then. It's like, all right, remember these mistakes and keep remembering what I'm doing, learn from it and grow from there. Just like you were saying, like after 10 of them, it came more fluent. I guess fluent's a good word or okay, more efficient. I don't know what the pro proper word for that is, but yeah, I just felt better at it. More comfortable. There we go. <laughs> I love it. Bro. I yeah. But I mean, it was just one of those things that you seems like it would just come easy just, you know, they say go over there and talk, but it's really like if I go explain an iPhone, when I start presenting in front of 20 people, I would probably even right now probably just fall apart. Like, I don't know. It's a phone. Call people, text people, look up stuff. 
that's the key, right? It's that momentum that we build over time. And just to, to make sure on the same page as well, you don't have to present in front of 20 people to start. Start with yourself. Start with a small group and build your way up. And yeah. one thing I know for sure, without a doubt, in my years of doing this, anyone who does the random word exercise 100 times will be completely different in their communication skills. We'll go to a whole other level. It's just a problem is most people aren't willing to invest the hundred minutes, the hundred minutes to do the exercise a hundred times, right? So the question that I have for your audience to think about, Chris, is not a hundred minutes out of your day or out of your week or out of your month. Can you give me a hundred minutes out of your life? And the truth is, is 99% aren't willing to. And that's why the top 1% are the top 1%. Goes along with everything else, man. Only that one percent is probably going to who's willing to give you this hundred minutes are probably going to be successful, so to speak. So, Absolutely. so speaking of exercises and stuff, so I, I speaking of podcasts too that I listen to a couple of comedian podcasts and they're always talking about warming up in a green room or whatever. Is I mean, is this part of it too that y'all or you would teach warm up exercises just to get ready, or do you do it before you go on and do presentations or give your coaching? Yeah, absolutely. Warm-up exercises are great. I would say it's all about figuring out. It's kind of like morning routines, right? Yeah. What's the best word to do? You like eat eggs in the morning? Do you like eat spinach? Do you have a green juice? Well, (laughs) there you go. Fair enough. Awesome. So, so my advice is always, and it's the same with rituals: test everything, and then pick the ones that work for you. I'll give you an example. Okay. A lot of people like to say they're a part of five a.m. club. I'm always happy to say that I'm a part of eight a.m. club, right? That's where I start, and that's what I do, right? Because I just don't like waking up early. But I always start my day with education. Two hours of podcasts every day, ninety minutes of podcasts every day, and that's my first meeting of the day. And that's something I'm consistent on. Eating avocados most of my life, I'm consistent on. But that's the thing. It's the same analogy with communication. So, for example, my routines, I'll tell you them, but I don't recommend them for most people because they're crazy. Like sometimes when I give presentations, if they're important, I don't talk to anyone during the day. I'm just silent because it just reminds me that this presentation is very important. and, And it's very unlike me to not talk. It's very unlike me to not like blabber, which I usually do. So yeah, that, that's that's one. One other one that I do is a bit crazy. I haven't done this one in a while. It's only if I have something that really matters is I get a, my haircut a, exactly two weeks before the presentation and I always buy a new suit. Why two weeks? I don't know. Is it, is it, are you superstitious? <laughs> I, I think it's because my hair grows in a certain way after two weeks for yeah. that barber who cuts my hair and it just looks perfect after two. I think that might be the rationale, but it's nothing. But like I said, I don't recommend this stuff to people. It's just a test what works and just do what works. Well, I would definitely get down with buying a new suit, dude. I mean, you know, half the time I'm just wearing like, you know, to work polo and khakis or whatever. And then, but like, you know, when I put on a suit though, whole new confidence comes over me and I feel like I can take over the world. When you get your shoulders back, man, you're just strutting across. Ugh. feels good, dude. Got power tie on. Like, yeah, it's a whole new confidence and or arrogance, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, in when I was saying that if I had to explain an iPhone to five people, 10 people, but if I had a suit on, I feel completely different. It's a whole new energy, whole new vibe. Oh yeah. I'm with you. That's, that's the way I feel too. That's why the suit's always new, but it's rare. I only do that. I mean, I haven't done that in years, okay. but I did that a lot in case competitions because for me, those are the presentation that mattered. So once a year I had a new suit and what's nice is like the morning, because like the first time you're wearing it, the second time you're wearing it. So when you look at the mirror at like 5 a.m. when you're going to these competitions, you're like a different person because you have a brand new suit on and then you go out there and you just uh, wreck yeah, yeah rest, crush rest. it, man. I mean, it's so badass, dude. Like, I feel unstoppable when I got, you know, you just know you look good, you're feeling good, and you just take over the world, man. So, but, but do you consider yourself, all right, so here's a good question. Do you consider yourself, I would say you're probably extroverted or not? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm what we call the extra extrovert. I'm like as extroverted as they come. So how do people, do you, do you work with a lot of people who are introverted and how do they overcome that? Hundred percent. So most of my clients are introverts, actually. It's unsurprisingly, of course. But what I would say is, how do they overcome it? They don't. So what do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? Because there's nothing to overcome, Chris. Here's what I mean. Okay. What introverts don't get, and what most people don't get, is that we buy into this myth that introverts are are not as great communicators as extroverts, which is not true. There's actually a lot of advantages of being an introvert that introverts just aren't aware of. And that's what I tell them. 
So there's three key advantages. I'll prove it. Don't worry. Number right, one. Good. Good. <laughs> okay. Number one. I love it. Thanks for the support, man. <laughs> so, so the first one is listening. Introverts are exceptional listeners. And the reason they're better at listening, quite simply, is because they talk less. So they listen more. Okay. I had a lot of trouble learning to listen because I talk a lot. Right? So that's why I make a good guess, hopefully. But <laughs> I'm always talking. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. So that's the advantage that introverts have is that they'll listen and adapt the message of, to their audience a lot quicker than any extrovert could. That's number one. Number two is they're exceptional at the most basic technique of communication, pausing. Teaching introverts pausing is like a joke. You just go, okay, Tom, pause and give the presentation and pause in it because your presentation will be better. Then Tom just looks at me and goes, oh, okay. And they implement it five seconds later. But an extrovert says, okay, and then they try and fill up the space. Because whenever an extrovert is at a bar, is at a party, is at an event, and there's a pause, they start to get worried. Weird. And they go like, uh, Chris, uh, what did you do yesterday? Uh, yeah. Tell me about the picture. And uh, well, right. So they're always trying to fill up the space. Advantage number three. This is not well known either. Introverts are a lot more accessible to the general public as speakers than extroverts are. I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. Let's say we take somebody like Gary Vaynerchuk, the CEO of VaynerMedia. He's a great example of someone that you either love or you hate. There's no middle ground with him. I personally love his work. He's like a marketing executive. I love what he's done. He has a massive social media following, but a lot of people don't like him because he's really aggressive okay. whenever he's talking. But when we think of somebody like Brene Brown, Brene Brown is like a vulnerability expert. Whenever she's communicating, you're not allowed to say, I hate Brene Brown. Like nobody says that. Just saying that puts me in jail, like literally. And the reason is because when you have a softer tone, you can attract a wider audience towards your message. Whereas when you're more aggressive, like a Gary Vee or a Tony Robbins, where you're like this all the time, a lot of people love you, like I'm sure me and you are in that camp, but there's <laughs> other people be like, oh my God, like this person is way too much. So these are the advantages. So what's the key takeaway? The key takeaway is know your strengths and triple down on them. Ooh, triple down. Don't double down, triple down on them. Yeah, yeah. yeah I like what you said about pausing because that's one thing I've been learning while doing these that you don't, always have to be talking kind of like what you said that it's okay that if there is a little bit of silence and you know think about your try to think about your word choice i mean for the most part i feel like you know we didn't script this out by any means and that i really don't understand what i'm going to say next so as i'm talking though i try to like slow down a little bit and pause my words or pause in between each sentence and that way i can take a breath and then continue on without trying to use stupid little filler words which i mean i'm not perfect by any means but um is that one kind of one thing you teach though or oh yeah absolutely i think the only thing i would i would add to that is it's all about sequencing right so what do i mean by this communication like juggling 18 balls at the same time chris so one of those balls is filler words another one is pausing another one is storytelling another one is doing the random word extra and you're trying to juggle all of these balls at the same time <laughs> but what happens when you juggle 18 balls all the balls naturally fall to the floor right mm -hmm. so the key is is you got to pick up one ball at a time so that means the first ball, in my opinion, should be the random word exercise. Just do that five times a day. And that will really build up the muscle for you to catch that ball. And then the next one would be do the random word exercise and pause a little bit more. And then just look at that. Don't pay attention to anything else. And now you got two balls in the air. And then the third ball is now pause and now say less ums and ahs and just focus on those two things. And then you're able to juggle all your team. Just, just start small and build up, man. Makes sense. Easy. But even, all right, so even with your third thing, talking about, you know, being more accessible, you know, and you talked, you touched on tone a little bit with Tony Robbins or people with louder tones and softer tones. But even with the way somebody would speak saying, all right, say, let's you and I were in a business deal or whatever, and we got in a heated conflict. And I said, I didn't say it like that or something like that. But, you know, little word choices like that saying like I and then going off something to a regular sentence. You know, you could really tell like just by that one word and like how they said it, 
you know, from the tone that, ooh, he's a little mad right now, or he's kind of in, insinuating that, you know, you know, person B is not up to par on their stuff or whatever, just by their tone. Absolutely. I would say a couple of things to that. The first one is it's definitely hard for us to read tones. You, you clearly have very high EQ. EQ for those of listening use emotional intelligence. So you can listen to somebody and go like, read the room. I would say in terms of practice, it's little bits at a time. So I would say the first piece is realizing that we need to be a master of all tones. Mm -hmm. Because if you always speak in the same tone all the time, it's not interesting. No. Okay? Whereas what the best communicators on the planet do is they use all tones at the same time. So they go really loud if they need to, but if they need to emphasize a point, something really important, they'll change their tone as the conversation goes. That's one piece. But then the other piece is knowing how to read the room. So reading the room is not easy, mm -mm. especially for a lot of people who don't have that EQ kind of built in. So my advice is always don't worry about it just yet. Focus first on learning to talk to people in general. So that means quite simply, make a list of people that you really like that are already in your network, build strong relationships with them, send them video messages, add more value to them and have them introduce you to other people and meet new people that way. So that way you meet different personalities and you start to learn to adapt your energy to those different people as well. Do you send a lot of video messages rather than text? Uh, I mostly text, but I do send a, a crap ton of video messages. A few weeks ago, I sent like 70 or something. I'm pretty nuts. I mean, with your YouTube channel and stuff, was it tough, you know, being in front of a camera or kind of weird? Oh, 100%, 100%. Were you used to it with your presentations background? You would think I was. You would think I was. Yeah, I, I, it was a huge hit to my ego, Chris, when I started making YouTube videos because I was terrible on camera at the beginning. But for those of you who don't believe me, go watch my first YouTube video. You'll see. Okay, it's still up there. I have like a, my little shirt on. I'm like sitting on our stolen couch. Oh, I probably shouldn't have said that. But anyways, I'm sitting on our couch. <laughs> right? And, you know, I have this camera and it's recording me and it's like this phone and it's all blurry. And that's how I started. And what's interesting about camera is it doesn't matter how great you are as a speaker, you always start from zero and you build your way up. So the key is really output. And that's what I've been trying to do in the past few years. Hmm. Well, so that's been going pretty well, though, it seems like. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Now, now it's good. I mean, I mean, I practiced like the first year I was practicing so much on camera like I probably practiced like two, 300 times. Yeah. Obviously now I'm a lot better on camera, but when I started, my God, was I horrendous. Yeah. It was kind of, it was weird for me when I started these, just, um, I've done a couple in-person ones and I kept, even in the beginning of I'd look over, just look at the camera, just cause I knew it was there. And I kept trying just to think, just don't look at the fucking camera, dude. It's, you know, it's there. You don't have to look at it, but it feels like that's almost anything. When everyone knows they're being filmed, you just, even look at like when I do my CrossFit competitions and you know, they come over there and they take pictures of us or video. Like I'm just half the time, just like, Oh, get ready for a post or whatever. And I usually, I just do that just so I was like, Oh, I got to get put, pick your social media. But even though, but yeah, it was, I agree with you that in the beginning, it was still tough for me when I started these, just looking on camera and just kind of even looking back at myself when I was editing these things, dude, just like knowing that I messed up something or saw myself do something weird or, whatever, just try not to be too self-critical. I mean, do you get pretty self-critical of yourself? Oh yeah. I'm super self-critical about, you know, my communication. I'm always getting feedback all the time, but I would say for people who are getting started to your point, Chris, like just start with little steps, right? I think the key is really momentum. Like the random word X has a great example. If you actually do this 20 times and 30 times and you go watch the first video of you doing it, my God, You'll say, wow, I'm so much better at this. And the same way, I'm sure, Chris, when you started your podcast, you're probably a lot better of an interviewer now than you used to be, right? Yeah. I think that's really the key. Yeah, it's grown. Like I said, you know, I'm pretty self-critical of myself. And just because like, I usually don't really listen back to my podcast at all. Like, I'll, I'll just kind of listen to bits here and there. It's like, okay, sounds, sounds pretty good. Move it on. But it's because, you know, I know I fuck up. You know, I'm a human being. You know, I know I say something stupid. I probably already said it something 14 times on this podcast or, you know, I miss our stat or whatever. But I know that if, if I sit there and just focus on that negative stuff, then I'll really go down that negative spiral and just decide that I'm not going to do it anymore. Screw it. I can't. I don't want to. Nobody looks like, wants to look like a fool or an idiot. Right. So but I, but when I do hear myself do it, I make a note of it then I move on from it. And like I said, learn from my mistakes. I mean, if you know. If I could give any advice out there is just learn from your mistakes. You're going to mess up, but you got to keep pushing forward no matter what. I mean, look at Michael Jordan, right? 
Let's talk about him again. He got cut from what his tenth grade or eleventh grade team. So absolutely, worked out for him. It worked out for yeah. him, dude. <laughs> Well, I mean, what's what's the future though? Do you think for this? You know, you said the industry was pretty lucrative. What's the future of it though? With you know technology and you know, it seems like everything's trying to go digital. I mean, do you think that it's all going to move to no like formal communication that we all know? It all going to be can become a paperless society, and we're all just going to do it on like through texts and emails, and or like Elon Musk will have the Neuralink, and we'll just be able to send brain signals to each other rather than talk. yeah man i think i think for me the future is i think communication is timeless regardless of how quickly technology advances knowing how to talk to people having conversations will always be a thing but i think what will change is how that skill is being taught so for example 50 years ago 60 years ago i think it was maybe 80 years ago and dale carnegie wrote how to win friends and influence people hey, i'm reading that book right now uh, no there you go right so when he wrote the book i mean it's great but like we don't have youtube videos we don't have him on a podcast him being interviewed by you yep. because he wasn't born in that era he doesn't have access to those tools of of how to distribute content in a way that is is different i, I won't say better but necessary but different right sure so, so I think for me, the opportunity I have in the area I'm in, because I'm, I'm in an interesting time period of history. I mean, we both are, where it's like, I'm super, super young. I'm only 26, yet I already have a successful business. And I, I've been able to share a lot of these. The, I've been able to accumulate all of these this knowledge on communication because of this bizarro experience in university. So I have an opportunity over the next you know, 40, 50, 60 years here to really immortalize my ideas really share a communication in a way that after I'm gone, the next Elon Musk, the next thought leader, instead of picking up a book, which is great too, they can pick up my videos. They can pick up this conversation we're having now and learn communication so much faster through these conversations. So that's the goal. I feel like I already know the answer to this question, but I want you to elaborate on it just because it's something I've kind of been looking at it or looking more into as well. But uh, you consider yourself a thought leader, I'm assuming. I do. And... Let's explain. I want you to explain, not me, because you you'll explain it better than I am. What a thought leader exactly is, and you said like Elon Musk. So is that very comparable? Absolutely. I think for me, the way that I define it, I'm sure people would disagree with me on it, is a thought leader is someone who is able to share new ideas into the world I that agree. I that are either brand new or or packaged in a unique way. So it's an and or. Right. So a thought leader, someone who's able to disseminate new ideas in a way that is either brand new or packaged in a new way. So in my case, the reason why I was so confident that I had unique ideas wasn't rocket science, brother. The reason was simply this. I, I'm a big fan of this podcast called The School of Greatness by a guy named Lewis Howes. And I've listened to hundreds of episodes of his of his podcast because he he started in 2013 he only started a few years after joe did joe rogan oh, yeah. so he's he's a part he's a part of what we call the second wave of podcasting so the first wave was like you know like joe rogan and etc and he was the second wave so what happened is simple i just listened to hundreds of episodes and i just said oh they're not talking about this they're not talking about this they're not talking about this but there's just too many things in my hand on my hand that none of the communication experts were talking about like the simple one that i don't think we talked about yet how would your life change if you're an exceptional communicator? Just that simple question. Like so much of communication is saturated negativity. I was like, this doesn't make any sense. If you want to help someone become better, the worst thing you can do is say, you're going to be scared for the rest of your life. You're going to die, Chris. If you're going to die. And like, it's just like, I'm like, how is it helping people? No, dream. Like, go on a vacation. Think about your communication. Have fun with it. Communication is every interaction you have. So that's just one of hundred of ideas that I thought of in my mind. And I eventually had so many in my mind that I was just like, okay, I should probably just do this myself because clearly nobody is thinking, is sharing this idea. So that's, that's what the way I think about thought leadership. Do you think that in talking about touching on that a little bit, that um, people should put themselves in far as uncomfortable communication situations just to see how they would react and kind of get out of their comfort zone. And what I mean by that, I guess, for example, is that I was, uh, I had a, she's a, baseball broadcaster for the Mariners on here. And she was actually talking about and insinuating how just learning small talk in sports and would help network you as far as the future goes. I mean, you can easily just go up to almost anybody in a new, a conference room or wherever you're at workplace and just say, Hey, did you watch the uh, Super Bowl last night? And almost nine times out of 10, you can at least get the conversation going to story and network from there. Does that kind of make sense? 
100,000% man. Here's, here's the way I think about it. Communication is an amplifier of whatever your goals and dreams are. So if your goal is to be a thought leader and you're an exceptional communicator, you'll just get there a lot faster. In the same way, like Elon Musk, does he need communication? Coaching, yeah. Does he care? No, because the guy's worth hundreds of billions of dollars. But the, the argument I would give is if he had mastered communication at the age of 15 or 16, he would have gotten there with less pain. Not a lot less pain. He probably still would have been painful, but less pain. Because he, he wouldn't have sounded like this when he's talking the first time. Nobody knows who he is at the time, right? Sure. So that's the way I think about it. So now how does that apply into the context of, of what you gave around small talk? I would say it's not just about the presentation. It's also different contexts, like the one that you just gave. And what I find is like most human beings, like like just taking action. I, I, I feel people don't get this. Just taking the action of doing something puts you ahead of 95% of people. Mm. Okay. Like I'll give an example that's similar to the one you gave. When I was in university, I just told myself, you know what? I, I, I really want a job at this accounting firm. This is before I, I, I had the idea for Masta. Really want to work at this accounting firm. I can retire my mom. And I was like, okay, how do I get there? Why don't I just message the guy who owns the firm? Why don't I just message the, the executives? Whereas most people aren't willing to do that because they go, oh, like, what do they think of me? What if I send them an email? Whereas in my head, I was like, well, holy shit. Like, what if I send 10 of these emails? Only one of them says, yes, I, I get the win, right? Yeah. So I just sent a bunch of these emails. Most of them never responded to me. But the ones who did were shocked. They were like, oh, my God, how old are you? And I was like 19 at the time. Like, I want to beat this kid. And then I had coffees with, like, all these senior executives. But the reason I tell you this isn't to brag or show off. I'm not special, dude. Like, my, my dad and my mom worked in factories. I had, like, I have, like, a crooked left arm. I had no business network. I, the only difference is I just sent the email. You just took a so chance. I just took a chance. Like, what? What the hell is going to happen? Okay, like I said, I think I sent you a message. Okay, if Chris says it, somebody yeah. else is going to say yes. It doesn't matter, right? So so when I think that's what people don't get is like all you need is one yes to change your life. Mm. I, agree I agree 100%, dude. I mean, the answer is always no unless you ask. And that's one thing I've been learning throughout my life. If I could go back and tell my 18-year-old self the exact same thing, hey, dude, just take it. Take a chance, man. Ask the girl out, dude. Don't worry about what's going to happen. Send your resume, dude. Go, I don't know, go take the, I don't know, go take a chance at whatever, whatever you want to say. You can use almost any example. If it fucks up, you, you're going to, you'll be okay. All right. It's more, you'll yeah, have more I, opportunities down the road. Dude, absolutely. I'll give you a fun one. Like I fell in love with this girl a few years ago Ooh. and I flew out to another country just to ask her on a date. And she said, No. And you know what's Bro. great? Is, is, is that's amazing because at least I did it. Most people aren't willing to do that. Yeah. Most willing are willing to do, and that's why most people don't get what they want. Well, you go back on the, you know, you said that Michael Jordan regretted not going for seven. I mean, you don't want to have that hanging off the rest of your life. Like, hey, life's too short, man. Dude, for real. I want I you gotta you gotta do it, man. Like I, that's flew to another country, man. I've never heard of anybody doing that, but that's that's badass right there in itself. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, it was you just knew that, hey, this was the only way uh, I'm going to be able to do it. Just go ask her out in person. And I just yeah, got to do it. Literally. Nice. That's it. So you I just did. Got, you still got turned down. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that's totally fine. I mean, I was in depression too. But, but after that. <laughs> I get it. I get it. But after that. But the point I want to drive is, is notice how excited I am. It's like most people, they just don't go after what they want. Like I'll give you a simple analogy, right? You know, a lot of people like to shit on people who have a lot of money or are really wealthy or in the top 1% of anything. I agree. Uh, the wealth, the health, it, put anything. It doesn't have to be money. It could be six pack, whatever. But we have to also realize, and I know you agree with me on this, Chris, but it's more for the audience. Is like, look, if you want to be in the top 1% of anything, any game, any sport, any skill, you need to realize that mathematically that implies that your actions and behaviors should not mirror what the 99% are doing. Ooh. Right? Like point, mathematically. If you're doing the exact same thing as the 99%, why do you expect to be in the top 1%? The reason I, I, I don't even think I'm in the top 1% of my industry, and that's me. I still don't think I am. I'm still pushing. And I was this lunatic in university where I was like doing hundreds of presentations to get to the level that I'm, but I'm still investing a shit ton of money to learn from coaches who are smarter than me. It's about doing the things that most people aren't willing to do to get what most people don't have. Yeah. Mike Tyson said something one time. It was like, do the things you hate to do until you learn to love them and you can become successful or whatever you want to say at them. And even though, you know, as far as like a training day or whatever, do like you talking about the exercises, 
you know, you hundred minutes or whatever you said. Yeah. Do them. Even though it sucks, you hate to do it. You hate doing them, but you got to. Exactly. And let me give you another Tyson favorite of mine. Yeah. You need to behave like a champion before you actually are one. Ooh. Right. You need to like, if you're not putting in the work, if you don't think you're a champion, you're not behaving like one and you're not actually taking the actions that somebody who has a belt is doing, you're never going to get the belt. Yeah. Right. And that's yeah, the thing. I agree. Yeah. It's all those, you never know, like even Kobe Bryant. I mean, all these great sports legends. I mean, we're not, a, this is not a sports podcast, so to speak. We can talk about it, but they've always, are the outliers doing the other things that nobody else is really doing. And that's what made them greater than anyone else. And then I can relate a hundred percent because I remember, you know, being in college or even or exactly after college, I was always kind of shitting on people who were better than me and like, you know, looking at like, you know, man, if I, you know, if I would have been born six foot six or whatever, I would have been great too. And, you know, making little excuses like that, but it wasn't really until, I don't know, sometime maybe 2013, 2014, maybe it's when I started like wanting to learn more and grow my mind and learn that, Hey, life isn't about just hating on people. I mean, these guys came from almost next to nothing and just made something from themselves. And it was that mentality. It's like, all right, dude, I mean, you've came up from a pretty okay family. You don't have anything bad in your life going on. I mean, it's just all about putting in the work and putting in the time. Like but the whole time we've been, the whole, everything we've been talking about this whole hour. And it was just, I, but I look back on myself and it's like, man, I hated myself for doing that. Just shitting on people like that. Just almost being so negative. And it with putting that negative, t- negative externally out would almost make me negative inside as a person too. And I hated that, you know, and I was like, you got to switch that dude. You got to turn the volume knob to a different level, bro. And just, you know, if you want it, you got to go after it. That's my whole point. I guess that was a hundred percent too much of a rant, but no, I love it. I wish more people would get that instead of just shit on people, like you said, and just hate on them, dude. I mean, it can be done. I mean, you know, if you want to do something, do it. You know, I always hear that, you know, oh, I can't do that because I'm not you. That's kind of what I was saying. Well, or I'll just go ahead and start next Monday or on whatever it is, whatever goal you have, start a podcast, be a communicator, get start a diet or whatever you want to do. But it's just like, no, start now, bro. You got to, you just can't keep putting it off and putting it off, man. I mean, you got to get caffeinated, you got to get motivated and you got to get hype, baby. <laughs> <laughs> We're speaking the same language, bro. Yeah, dude, it's just, I mean, I, w- I always, when people, I, I guess because when people come around me and they start that negative talk, I get so upset that I was like, you can do it, though. I don't understand what the problem is. I mean, even now with, you know, YouTube and universities and, you know, books and podcasts, you have all the information you could ever need at your uh, at your feet in order to be successful or, or just learn something or whatever it is. And so there's really like no excuse anymore. Right. So 100 percent. You know, and I'll, let me throw another one at you. I got this from one of my coaches. He said the following, are you making an excuse to do the thing or not do the thing? And there's two types of people in the world, right? There's people who always make an excuse not to do the thing. Oh, I'm tired. I don't want to do this. And there's a second type of person, which is a very small minority who always make an excuse to do the thing. Oh, I'm really tired, but you know, I'm going to take an extra five minutes. Okay. I can't do the random word exercise five times. Today. I'll just do it once. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm struggling with this, but you know, I'll spend one minute today doing it. And there's other people who go, I'm too tired. I won't do it at all. Yeah, and the it, people who win. It's all about, you know, I read that book atomic habits by James clear. And it's yeah, all it's about right. building, yeah. Building these little habits and getting these small little wins, kind of what you were touching on earlier and just making that part of your routine, which, you know, routines kind of suck or whatever. But if you put yourself into a routine, you, I think for the most part, you can get into greatness. If you say, Hey, I'm going to read 15 pages a day. I'm going to do my exercises for, I don't know, half an hour every day and then build off that until you get to a hundred minutes and, all that good stuff and boom. And then boom, magic happens. And then you're on top of the world. You're Elon Musk and boom, talking about putting neural links in people's heads. <laughs> there you go. Brendan, I know we're getting kind of short on time right here. Um, but um, is there anything else you want to say before uh, we call it, a, we take this one home? <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. I'll give you a final quote okay. for, the, for the crazy people who are still listening to this show. <laughs> I would I would say the following. This is this is a mantra that I invented in my basement that will be the ethos of my life. And the quote is the following: Be insane or be the same. If you want to be like everyone else, that's totally fine. But if you made it to the end of this podcast, you probably care about impacting the world. So here's what I think: I think that people who do crazy things in life are crazy people. Don't you find it odd, Chris, that I started a YouTube channel at the age of 22 in my mother's basement, not on pranks? Not on music, not on skits, not on rappers, but on executive communication. And then I wanted to coach those executives. I built a successful business, yet I still live in my mother's basement. 
I can karaoke in eight different languages. I dance alone in my mom's basement for an hour a day. And not or, and I'm in the 0.5, not five. I'm in the 0.5% of top listeners on Spotify for Justin Bieber. How does any of this make any sense at all? And that, my friend, is the point. When every decision in your life makes sense to the only person that it should, which is you, you'll be successful in life. So be insane or be the same. Brennan, you're a badass dude, dude. <laughs> if, uh, if, go ahead and plug all your stuff. If people want to find you and your YouTube channel and you and all that good stuff, how do they do that? Yeah, thanks. So this is a fun conversation. It's great. <laughs> so yeah, two ways to keep in touch. If you still do for some reason, the first one <laughs> is master talk, right? You can go on the YouTube channel. You'll have access to hundreds of free videos on how to communicate ideas effectively. So that's master talk. And then the second way to keep in touch for those of you who are interested in coaching, just sign up for one of my free trainings over Zoom. It's interactive. It's live. It's not recorded. It's fun. I facilitate the call. And you can go to rockstarcommunicator.com. Boom. Cool. Thanks for being here, dude. This is great. Thanks for having me on, bro. All right, we're out of here, people. See you. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.